All right, welcome to a minor detail. This is Ryan Miner. I'm here in Montgomery County, Maryland, and tonight we have a special episode of our show. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what happened in Charlottesville this past weekend. I have uh, with me guest hosting James Gross. Hey, James. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? I'm good, man. Um, so we're we're going to be talking to a guy by the name of Christian Yingling. He led a convoy of 32 militiamen to Saturday's Unite the Right uh, White Nationalist rally in Charlottesville. Um, he was in a full full page spread in the Washington Post on Section A5 yesterday. I read this at my kitchen table at about six o'clock in the morning, and it was just purely fascinating. So James and I, uh, James is a Second Amendment uh, enthusiast. He's an educator. Uh, he's a gun rights advocate, and he has a perspective that I don't have uh, in that he works with a lot of different people educating on the Second Amendment, making people aware of their gun rights. And we're going to unwind just what the hell happened this past weekend with somebody who was there front and center. And Christian's going to be calling in at any moment. So we're going to have a conversation. And look, um, this is typically – this kind of show is outside of my comfort zone. Um, to be honest with you, but you know, a minor detail, we don't shy away from controversy. This is the hot topic. This is what's on everybody's mind. And what we do well, I think, with this show is make sense of the news. We make sense of what happened, and we talk to people who have a clue of what is going on. So I'm going to welcome our guest. Hey, Christian, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you for having me. Good. Now, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, I have with me, as I introduced. Um, uh, before you came on, James Gross. He is a uh, he's another Marylander like myself. We're good buddies of mine. He's a Second Amendment guy, and he is somebody who is in a, a guns a gun rights advocate. He supports um, educating different uh, various folks on uh, being <laughs> how to smarten up on the Second Amendment and what their rights are. So, Christian, he's going to be on the show with me. So we're we're just going to go plow right through this. Um, I saw sure, yesterday. Fantastic. Yeah, I saw yesterday on the front or uh, in a, section A5 of the, the Washington Post. I'm I'm sure that you you saw this as well. You're featured, your pictures um front and center and uh you said yep, you sure it a, is. <laughs> yeah, you led a convoy of 32 militiamen to Saturday's Unite the Right White Nationalist rally in Charlottesville at the Washington Post. A guy by the name of Paul Duggan, he reported on it. And so Let's let's start from the very beginning. How did this how did this unite the right rally come about, and what what is your role in organizing these militiamen to go down to Charlottesville? <laughs> okay, well it's uh, it's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll try and squash it down as fast as I can while still being relevant. Um, I was made aware of this unite the unite the right rally um, shortly after it was put together. Um, it was brought to my attention by a female friend of mine down in North Carolina being an event that was being put together to support Southern Southern heritage and, and to kind of uh, support the, the, the keeping of these statues in, that, that are honoring, you know, these civil war generals and whatnot. Um, which at first, you know, I, I kind of took it with a grain of salt because like I said, it was real early you know, early on before, uh, you know, we would generally start planning for something like that. So I kind of just tucked it away in the back of my mind. But um, 
so as time went on, you know, it, it and this event started to become more and more prominent. I started looking into it, and uh, because people were telling me, you know, that you might want to stay away from this one, and and because we have been ten- attending a lot of these like kind of free speech rallies and stuff up and down the East Coast, mm-hmm. and uh, it was good, more or less kind of squaring off against Antifa, you know, because Antifa has a long history now of trying to squash people's First Amendment rights. You know, they believe that their their view is the only view and that nobody else's view matters and that nobody should have the right to, to, to talk about their own view. And uh, so I started researching this thing, and I started looking at the list of speakers. And the list of speakers were almost almost exclusively, you know, white supremacists, white nationalists, uh, you know, Nazi type folk who, uh, you know, when when militia guys hear those kind of those kind of references and those names, immediately the the vast majority of the militia said, "We are not touching this, no way, no shape, no how," because they didn't want to be associated with you know white white national or white supremacists, yeah. because mm-hmm. that's a that's a long standing accusation made about us, you know, by the the media and, and uneducated people who don't truly know what the militia is about. So, um, so I was one of those people. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was one of those people who said, I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. You I know, read that. Um, yeah. And I, I really did not want anything to do with it. And it was only after I'd had a conversation with, uh, one of my colleagues, the New York Lightfoot state commander, uh, George, George Curbello, where he had actually played devil's advocate on me and had stated that Chris, you know, he, and that's what he said, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute here. He said, if you don't mind, and he said, if, if those people, if we don't support their right to free speech, he said, then doesn't that kind of make us no better than Antifa? He said, yeah. because then we're only, what we're saying to the world is that the militia only supports the people that we agree with. And and that really had a profound effect on me. I mean, it really did. I, I can't even begin to put it to words how, how much of an effect that had on me. And so for the next few days, I, I really kind of stewed over it, pondered it. And I called him back and I said, you know what, man, you're right. I said, if I said the First Amendment was put there, not so you can say which, whatever you want to say, but more so I can disagree with it, you know, yeah. and. And, and and I and I told him I said uh, you know I said I believe me George I said I've tried as hard as I could possibly as as hard as I possibly could to come up with a reason to disagree with you, and I can't. I said so let's do it. I said let's go. Well, and let's, I said, let's back up. Um, you're, sure. you're 45 years old. You're a Navy veteran, mm-hmm. and, and thank you for your service. You're from Western Pennsylvania. I I, yes. I spent a lot of time in Western Pennsylvania. I went to Duquesne and spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh and the the surrounding areas and good people um uh, just absolutely i grew up up in western maryland and james is from frederick and i I lived in hagerstown most of my life and i grew up around there the other day yeah so you you probably drove up what 81 uh it's 522 yeah okay yeah so it was hancock it was hancock i'm sorry not hagerstown i apologize i I know well no well so and you've been part of this this organization, and it's and I, and for people who don't understand it, what is a militia? Mm-hmm. We we know what we know what 
a, a militia and the original senses, Christian, but what do you guys do that's different? I mean, it's, it's not its own independent army, which some people might believe it is, but what is the purpose of a militia? What do you guys do? Yes, well, the militia right now, I mean, it, it's not actually as simple of a question as one might think, because the militia right now is going through a very painful change. Um, it's it's changing from what people would generally conceive a militia to be, you know, a bunch of guys who get together, who, you know, are afraid that the government's trying to steal all our rights away and who are trying and, you know, are training to fight the government for the day when they come to take our guns. You know, it's transforming from that into a more modern version of the militia, which is more more of a community, you know, a community, I don't want to say community action group, but uh, like a citizen's defense group. Um, we're, we're very community oriented. Um, we don't, although we do train in, in things like small unit tactics, you know, that's just part of what we do. Um, but we're now starting to get, like I said, get more involved in the community because the way I, the way I look at it and the narrative that I'm pushing for, for the militia is one that, you know, we are nothing without our community. Okay. We, we would, we would be completely ineffective without having the community back us. And you really saw that this weekend in Charlottesville. You saw what happens when the community doesn't back the militia. You know, we were left 32 guys to stand against 6,000 on our own. And, you know, God bless every single man and woman that was out there with me that day that stood beside me because we did it. We held that crowd off for five hours until they shut that event down while the, while the police sat back and did nothing. We had zero support from the community that day. Now, Aside from, you know, the, the random citizen who, you know, saw what we were doing and asked and took the time to speak with us. And in, in worst case scenario, the people that we had helped, that we had yanked out of that melee, you know, um, my guys, <laughs> uh, to, to cut the brass tacks, you know, my guys got the, the living crap kicked out of them that day, yeah. you know, but, it, but they, they fell back on their training. They were completely 100% disciplined. We never fired a shot, even though in many, in many cases what happened that day, we probably could have and been very legally justified in doing so. Um, but we didn't. You know, um, We took our lumps and we helped people. And the people that we helped on both sides, you know, the right and the left, and as well as innocent bystanders who got caught in the middle of it, were extremely appreciative of that. You know, um, we had actually even, as far as like conversations gone, had even gotten through to some of these people. You know that look, we're we're not out there, we're not out there to to take your rights away or suppress your rights in any fashion or demonize any race, religion, or creed. That's just not who we are. You know, um, like I said, we we embrace our communities. We embrace, you know, all like I said, religions, colors, and creeds, you know what I mean? Because they're all an integral part of our community. You know what I mean? They, they add to our economy, you know, they add to our ethnicity, you know, our culture. And like you said, you know, the people in Western Pennsylvania are a good bunch of people, you know, and that's because of the people in the community. So it, it behooves us to, to help them. And in turn, by us helping them, they help us.
Yeah, I'm gonna have James jump in. James, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, send the, this portion of the interview over to you. Okay. Um, hey, Christian, how you doing? James Gross. I'm doing good. Hey, um, as a as a Second Amendment advocate, and uh, you know, uh, somebody who's dealt with the public and public repercussions from you know doing what I do, which is like like Ryan said, trying to educate people on gun rights and. Sometimes tempers get flared up, and uh, the English language, especially through social media, isn't always the best thing. Uh, the conversations with me direct one-on-one usually work better. I think people find me to be a, a bit more personable. And then uh, exactly, we can go back and forth. And I, I like that. I like that part about where you know you guys get out in the community. Um, that's something similar that we've done in the in the QA community here in Maryland. You know, we've had some outreach programs where we do food drives for people in urban areas, uh, and we're trying to show them that you know, look, we're, we're not guys. We we definitely get tired of the stigma of being considered a, a racist, a white. Uh, we get linked to white supremacy groups all the time, and I think it's just because yeah, so do we. a lot of believe time. me, so do we. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I do understand it, and. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions. They may seem a little bit tough, and they may seem like uh, they're coming from the wrong – not a supporter. Uh, but the reason I want to do that is because a lot of times you get those types of questions. You don't get the right question from a journalist who has no idea about gun rights. You, you don't get it right. from someone with a slanted perspective on gun rights. And, and I want to come at you from that perspective. Uh, and just sure. sort of I, I welcome information. That's all. Okay. Sure. I welcome um, it. I mean, I really do okay, because the, the the hard questions are the ones that don't. The hard questions are the ones that generally don't get asked, and they need right. to be answered because people have those questions. So, but yeah, by all means, fire away. Okay. So when when you guys set out to do this, um, mm-hmm. the big question that I have in mind is, is I noticed that you're definitely. Uh, you thought about this, you gave a great thought, and then someone played devil's advocate and, and talked to you and, and sort of persuaded you that, wait a second, you know, we want to stand up for everybody's right. Um, Correct. How hard was it for you to overcome the idea that you could be labeled immediately? Because that, through some of my Facebook friends, there are other people that have opened public profiles that were making comments. And I tried to defend mm-hmm. some of the actions of militia that were there that I saw in photos. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes looking at it, I, I'm going, what was the intent of this? Well, why? I understand, like, if you're there as, like, Oath Keepers to keep the, the First Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. I, I just, to be stuck there where you know the left, you know the Antifa groups are going to come after you and point at you and go, you guys, oh, yeah. these guys. Um, right. But in the Washington Post article, it said that you you gave specific instructions uh, to your your group that you mm-hmm. were not to talk to anybody. But then here you're telling us that you were having some conversation and some open dialogue with some of the community members, and these people yes. were saying that you know they didn't like you. And I, I'm wondering yes. what their information is, or what they heard, or what they talked about compared to what your experience was. So that, that's sort of one of my biggest. It's a multifaceted question there, but uh, I think you may no, be able sure. To no, sure. No, I don't. I don't mind answering. I don't mind answering that at all. Um, as far as you know, yes, I did order my people not to talk to people, but they were ordered not to talk to specific people. They were ordered not to talk to the press. Uh, 
because and the reason being that they were ordered not to talk to the press was because it was such a volatile event. We were so heavily outnumbered that our guys were inherently spun up. You know what I mean? They were tense. And the, the, the members of the command staff that day didn't want anybody saying anything to the press that was going to get plastered out as us being painted as racist. So that being said, um, there were members of the community um, who had approached myself, had approached my guys, um, and and I will say, you know, the vast majority of them were, you know, completely polite and just didn't really understand why we were there and didn't understand why we were carrying long guns and why we were wearing body armor and and, and all that, you know, why we looked like, you know, some sort of, you know, spec ops team from some movie, you know, and, and they, they were curious and they wanted to know, you know, and in cases like that, I really didn't have a problem with the guys talking to them because, you know, the guys that I took out there were handpicked, you know what I mean? They really were. Um, we didn't take anybody from, nobody in, in our 32 man group was questionable in any way, shape or form. These were all people that we have worked with in the past. These are all people we trusted. You know, these were all people that we knew were well trained um, and were of the same mindset that we were. So, it, in in that aspect, I really didn't mind them talking to people. You know, to kind of explain why we were there. You know, because the, the community deserves to know. You know, and we had actually spe- specifically requested a law enforcement escort from where we had parked. Because the Charlottesville police knew we were coming. We told them ahead of time we were coming. We told them we were coming That's smart. on. We told them we were bringing That's smart. We, told them, we do it all the time. Every time we go to a rally, we smart. always touch base with law enforcement. We let them know. Because most of the time, like I said, 99.999% of the time, law enforcement works with us on these things. Yeah. Charlottesville was the one, the 0.1% where they didn't. But, but even before the event, it seemed like they were going to because – we asked them, you know, we said to them, look, we're going to be marching from on foot, you know, from this parking garage to the the event venue, which was the park. And, you know, we are armed to the teeth <laughs> and you're probably going to get flooded with 911 calls, which we didn't want to happen. So we were like, could we possibly get an escort from, you know, where we're staging up at to the event so that, you know, we don't terrify the citizens of Charlottesville? And, and they and they did that, you know, they did that, which was good. But um, to to kind of backpedal that a little bit, you know, um, regardless, there was a lot of people who didn't see us, who didn't see law enforcement taking us out there. And so when those people showed up at the event, and because most of them were curious, even though they they probably didn't agree with one side or the other, just like we didn't. You know, and once we got to talk to them and explain to them kind of our position and look, we're here, even though we disagree with both of these these groups here, you know, of people, they they are all still Americans and they all still deserve the right to free speech. You know, we have to respect that because the minute we stop respecting that, then, like I said, we become no better than groups like Antifa. You know what I mean? Who think their their narrative is the only narrative and we cannot allow that to happen because if we do allow that to happen then that's going to become a very slippery slope where all of a sudden 50 percent of the country's opinion is no longer going to matter and that's not yeah, what made cr- america great you know what i mean cr- cr- so christian i'm going to jump yeah, in go here real quick um, sure. i'm just going to say Fantastic. that um i'm a 
James and I both agree on several elements of interpreting the Constitution. I would consider myself a, a libertarian-leaning constitutionalist, registered, unaffiliated, um, and I truly believe um, in protecting our Bill of Rights from the First Amendment all the way to the Tenth Amendment. And mm-hmm. what I try to use this show is to talk about issues that are relevant and to educate mm-hmm. people, as James and I do, on constitutional issues. Um, and this – the First Amendment allows me to – it protects me as a blogger, a journalist mm-hmm. to host this show. The internet gives me – uh, an element of latitude that the non-traditional press typically don't have, and I can take those flexibilities with this show. And so sure. as someone who truly believes in the Constitution, I understand why you went in order to protect free speech. I don't agree. I, I, I think it's sickening that people in our country have racist beliefs. And I said this I on Saturday. Exactly. And I said this on Saturday that while I vehemently, passionately disagree with their beliefs, their convictions, or however they became, however they grew to feel this way or superior or supreme to another race. I think it's abhorrent and disgusting. However, so the Constitution and government allows mm-hmm. even people with the most reprehensible beliefs to peacefully assemble in public without government shutting them down. And so Correct. what I'm ga- what I'm gathering from your presence and from your militia group who showed up was to ensure the stability of democracy from two clearly opposing sides and your presence mm-hmm. there was to reinforce that we are still a constitutional republic where republic. speech Precisely. is protected. Yeah, we are speech is protected even though if you strongly disagree with it. And so that's what I think, the, from my perspective, that's the basis of why your group traveled there, just to reinforce that even though you didn't, you didn't have to use the, your, your, your weapons in any way, the symbolism mm-hmm. of that protected speech through your presence there was my, is my understanding. Am I right? You are absolutely right. You, you you couldn't be any more right. There was, there truly when, okay, there was. If you look at the the one and the large, the biggest, I guess I should say, reason for us being there, it is exactly what you just stated. Unequivocally, you you hit the nail right on the head. I couldn't have said it better myself. There there was, however, a secondary motive for us being there, and that secondary motive was my own, and and. Like I said, my colleague, uh, my colleague George, which was, you know, the militia in this country, like I said, is going through a very painful transformation right now. And they are struggling for legitimacy. And unfortunately, they can't gain that legitimacy because they can't seem to rally around one thing, you know, and that's a big problem for us. That's a big problem for us. And I I just had this conversation with uh, another radio blogger the other night on their show where I stated that, you know, it was actually stated to me by a militia commander in Ohio about us not being able to rally around anything. And I said, that's, that's crazy talk. I said, because we do have something, we do absolutely have something to rally around. I said, and what that is, is the one thing that we all sing about every single day, the constitution. 
you know, we have to keep the Constitution vital. We have to keep it real, you know, and we have to, you know, defend the Constitution as it was written, as it stands. And in this particular case, yes, it absolutely involved us getting in between two groups of people that we, like you said, we vehemently disagreed with. We didn't want to be there. And we didn't want to be there to support either one of them because we don't support either one of them. We don't share their views. You know, their views are just way too extreme. Like you said, we find racism to be absolutely abhorrent. You know, we absolutely abhor it. And I said, and, but, but at the same time, you know, as I stated right when I first came on, you know, it's not so much your right to say what you want to say as much as it is my right to disagree with it. And we wanted to be out there in order to make sure, even though we disagreed with those people, they got to say their piece. Because even though we didn't want to hear what they had to say, or we didn't want to hear what the other side had to say, maybe somebody out there does. You know, and um, it's not up, that's not up for us to decide, you know what I mean, who listens and who doesn't. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter remains at the end of the day. The First Amendment guarantees them that right to say it. Let me you ask know, you this question, we were Christian. Out, that's what we were out there to support. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this question. What what action from either either side, from all types of people, that would have triggered your group or organization to use force against members of the crowd? The, we did We did use... I don't want to say I, I hate to call it force. You know what I mean? Because that that would imply that we were hurting people, which we absolutely didn't. But the things that would cause us to become physically engaged with the crowd were like fights breaking out. You know, people openly instigating. You know, openly trying to instigate violence with the other side, which happened all day long. You know, um, for example, uh, there there was this one girl. She was with Antifa, um, and I'm not saying just Antifa did it. You know, this happened from both sides, but it, but in this particular case, it was a member of Antifa, where she would, she would charge these guys. You know what I mean? And she wouldn't hit them. She wouldn't hit them. She wouldn't put her hands on them, but she'd wave her hands at them close enough to get into their space to make them uncomfortable and make them try to get them to lash out at her. You know what I mean? And in cases like that, sure. we would physically separate them. We would physically separate them. We would get in between them. We would push them both back, say, look, you're over here. You're over here. You know, you can say what you want to say. You can say what you want to say. But, you know, I'll be damned if you're going to get right up in his face and, and, you know, push him to a point where he might feel he has to physically react to you. You know, sometimes really get really get old and tiresome when we watch a lot of these videos. Uh, you see people I, that I, claim I, they were attacked, but the reason they're attacked is because they're literally getting in people's faces. And like you said, I'm really interested to find out if it happened on both sides because I, I have my own opinion, which I'll tell you a little bit later. But uh, I, I feel like it's definitely coming from both sides, and it's, it's who done it first, you know? Oh, it was absolutely. It, I, I will tell you and swear it on a stack of Bibles that it happened on both sides. This was not just instigated by one side or the other. You know, both sides literally showed up to fight that day. They didn't show up to celebrate free speech. They didn't show up to preserve Southern heritage. The chants that were going on were the type of chants that are made to instigate violence. Did, did and, you see anybody that stepped in that was not aware 
a lot of the people that I heard, at least defending a portion of the people, mm-hmm. the thing that boggled my mind was the torches, the tiki torches. I mean, guys, if you if yeah. you don't want to be associated with a lynch mob, why are you carrying tiki torches? It's it's one of the most idiotic things. You know, you're giving them <laughs> yeah. all, it's not really yeah, a, that, stereotype. That, a stereotype. You're you're looking like what you don't want to be associated with, and yet you're you're saying I'm not associating with these. So. Do you feel there were people there that sort of got led into this and then didn't realize sure. that there were Nazis and KKK guys there acting this way? Or Absolutely. 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 Yeah, there yeah. was a ton of people there who, you know what I mean? Because when you, when you hear the name Unite the Right, okay, when you hear that and, and you don't know better, you, you haven't done the research into the event or who's going to speak there or what they represent, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. It's very easy for you to get out there and get sucked into the middle of it. And that did happen quite a bit, quite a bit, you know, and it it often resulted in innocent bystanders who thought they were coming to something, but found very quickly found out that they were at something else who got caught in the middle of this melee. And when that happened, you know, five hours, you would think, my problem is if you're there for five or six hours, it, mm-hmm. it, honestly, if I showed up, you know, coming from the gun, the gun guy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I come out and I go to a rally, and it's an anti-gun rally, and I already know that I'm I'm not going to be welcome there. And and sure. I show up, and things start to get out of control, and there's some guys there who've decided to do things that are just a little bit out of the the lawful uh, reasoning of of protest. So. Let's say someone's sure. carrying a gun on purpose, and it's not in a. Let's say you're in Maryland, and it's not an open carry state, and and you uh-huh. got guys trying to display handguns or something, and you're going, whoa, uh-huh. okay. I do not want to be associated with, with these guys, even though I support their right to openly carry, but I also uh-huh. support. I'd be a hypocrite if I went and broke a law saying that I'm a law-abiding citizen. So that's right. I want to follow the law, and I would probably. I would, I would, I would ask Pat right out of there, man. <laughs> I'd be gone. I'd be, I'd yeah, be gone. you would so, think. I mean, like I said, you would think. But now, I, I, you know, I would liken that to, uh, I would liken that to, when you're driving down the road, and you come up on a car accident, okay, and you don't want to look at it, but you know what? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I said, a lot of these people that were out there, you know, that. Some some who, you know, thought they were coming to one type of event and very quickly found out that they were at another type of event. Um, but still, you know, once they were there, they it was kind of like that, that car wreck syndrome, you know what I mean? They, they don't want to be associated with that. But at the same time, they kind of want to stand off and, and watch what happens. Yeah, you know? that's, that's natural that, human re- reaction. I've been to many yeah, – that, that kind of – that morbid curiosity, if you will. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I've to been see, to many rallies. To see what's going to happen. I've been to many political so, rallies, candidates, not something mm-hmm. as intense or compelling as this type of event. Um, I try to steer I try to steer away from that. Um, but uh, Christian, I want to get your uh, I want to get your take about let's talk hour by hour and kind of what actually happened. Uh, we watched the coverage on the news. I was glued to my television mm-hmm. all day Saturday as this was unwinding. On Saturday morning, 
I really didn't know what the hell was going on. I, I just sort of tuned into social media, Twitter, Facebook, and you saw what was happening, but then you turned on the news coverage, and then more of it flowed in hour by hour. And it looks like you guys got there, uh, your platoon arrived about 7.30 in the morning, and then That's in, in the Washington Post article, police ordered you to leave the area. Um, and then by 1.42 p.m., when a man reputed to be a neo-Nazi adherent allegedly drove his car. Um, well, yes. not, I, yeah, I hate to use the word allegedly. We know what happened. Um, a, sure. a horrible person uh, with whatever motivations drove his car through a crowd of people and ended up killing one person. This is an absolute mm-hmm. travesty. Did you witness that event? Did you see that unfold? Negative. We were we were 40 miles away when that happened. Um so the, the way the day kind of unfolded, um, you're, you were correct. We showed up at 7.30 in the morning. Um, we had actually rolled into Virginia. My team got in there, which was me and two of the guys from my, my own unit. Um, we got in there at uh, – we got in there at like 1 o'clock in the morning. We really didn't get any sleep. Um, we tried to, but, I mean, as you can imagine, with the, the volatility of the situation, none of us really got much. Um, so we got up in the morning, we rolled in there, we left where we were camping out. We were camped about 50 miles away. Um, we did arrive on site at 7:30. We pulled into a parking garage that was directly adjacent to the police department. Um, we, our guys got geared up. Um, we went through kind of a pre-op briefing where I instructed the guys, you know, um, the guys that were carrying long guns were not to have around in the chamber. Unless their, you know, their life was in imminent danger, then they were allowed to chamber around. Um, and that was because of an incident back in Gettysburg where uh, when we were up there over July 1st for the July 1st weekend for the anniversary of the battle, Antifa was saying they were going to come up and do all kind of Confederate desecration type stuff. Um, there was a, a lone guy. He wasn't part of the, the team that I commanded up there. Um, he just kind of showed up on his own. He wasn't with us at any point in time, but he had ducked behind a statue to load this rusty old 22 revolver that he had brought with him for whatever the reason. I would like to think it wasn't a nefarious reason, but I, I can't say for sure. Um, had a negligent discharge and had shot himself in the leg. So <laughs> yeah, upon hearing about that, you know, I was like, oh, my God, is it, was it one of our guys? And they were like, no. And I was like, all right, good. Um, not that it was good that the poor, you know, poor guy shot himself in the leg, you know what I mean? But it was good to know that it wasn't a member of the militia who did it. So I instructed the guys that if you are carrying a long gun because of the situation, because people are probably going to be grabbing at you, people, you, you might be getting in between people. I didn't, I didn't want to take any chances for a negligent discharge. Mm-hmm. So we instructed them about that. We instructed them about the press. We instructed them that as we were making our way to the event, that they were not to talk to people. You know what I mean? We were going to quietly march down there, you know, and get staged up and, and do what we do. And uh, after that briefing was complete, we called uh, the Charlottesville Police Department, like I said, which was literally attached to the building we were in. Um, one of their officers came down and agreed to escort us over there because we didn't want them getting flooded with 911 calls. And uh, they marched us down there. And I'll never forget it as long as I live now. The officer said, 
kind of jokingly when we got there, okay, he brought us to this one corner, which was catty corner from the park itself. And he said, okay, you guys are on your own from here. And I, I didn't think anything of it at the time, you know what I mean? I just figured he was basically, in not so many words, telling us that, okay, you guys go do what you do, you know what I mean? And But little did I know that, <laughs> you know, when he was saying that, it, he probably meant we were literally on our own. Um, so we staged the guys up on both sides of the street. And the reason we staged the guys up on both sides of the street, we split our team in half, okay? Because the way that they had set the park up, they had closed down the streets beside it so that you had no access to the park from the sides. And they had closed down the streets behind it so there was no access to the park from behind. <laughs> they were funneling all those groups down one street. They either had to come from one side or the other. There's no other gray area. That was it. So we staged our guys up, and the first group that showed up was actually a religious group. Um, it was comprised of members of various religions, um, which you could, you know, you could, which were clearly designated by the way they were dressed. Um, they all came up. They kneeled down in front of us. Uh, in the street, and they started praying. They prayed for a little bit, and they did some singing, which, I mean, it was fantastic. They were great. Um, they were completely peaceful. You know, they didn't they didn't say anything derogatory towards my men or, you know, or anybody else there. You know, they like I said, they were, they were completely peaceful. And they did their little bit there, and uh, then uh, the first white supremacist group had shown up. And by the time that the first white supremacist group had shown up, the bystanders were showing up as well hmm. because yeah. they had started gathering. They had started gathering when the religious folk were doing their thing and they were watching them. Well, when the first white supremacist group showed up, of course there were boos and, and jeers and, sure. you know, and mm-hmm. you know, that things of that nature. And they marched down the, the you could see them coming up, coming toward us, marching down the street. Um, and they had uh, they moved up into the park, and at that point in time, things were fairly peaceful. Even though, like I said, there was some shouting going on, you know, from members of the crowd um, that was starting to gather. The, the the white supremacists at that point had been pretty peaceful. You know, they really weren't kind of egging anybody on or anything. That didn't start until Antifa showed up. When Antifa showed up. It, it immediately it immediately started, you know what I mean? The, the foul mouth, you know, just vicious chants back and forth at each other, you know. It and and it, it was already starting, you know what I mean? It was already starting, and you could feel. Christian, could I want to instantly. jump in real quick. Um, sure. A lot of people who may be listening aren't familiar with mm-hmm. the group Antifa. I've I've been following mm-hmm. this group for quite some time. What what is who is this group? What are they all about? And why were they there? Antifa is a, a what I like to consider of pretty loosely, but becoming more and more organized by the day. Um, they're, but they're kind of a loosely organized group of communists, um, socialists, uh, and anarchists mm-hmm. who you know see the government as an oppressive force. They see the police as being against the people. Um, they're the kind of jackboot thugs of the government, and they these guys 
the majority, I, I think, the majority of the members of Antifa want to switch from what we are as a constitutional republic to being a, a socialist, communist, you know, type of deal. Um, and they're, the, the unfortunate part is, uh, you know, they're mostly college-age kids, Um you know there are they do get some older members, but for the for the vast the vast majority of them are like college age people, um, young you know early twenties, uh, and they're extremely animated. They're extremely passionate about what they believe, um, which you know I, hey I understand passion I sure do you know what I mean I've been in the militia now for quite some time and I'm extremely passionate about about it myself, you know so I can understand their passion, but it, it, they're in a lot of ways. I, in, in my opinion, very misguided. You know, they have this kind of utopian view of the world and socialism and how it works, and they kind of refuse to look at countries where socialism has failed miserably. You know, socialism has never really succeeded anywhere. It, it were, it's, it's great at first, you know what I mean? But it, at the end of the day, it falls apart, mm-hmm. you know? Um we are a capitalist society. They see capitalists as being the devil. You know what I mean? That capitalists are out to do nothing other than fleece the people, take our money, and you know, steal our rights away. And mm-hmm. that the 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 working class is nothing more than their pawns. You know, which okay, in some ways I can relate to that. You know what I mean? They, I, I would definitely say that, you know, corp, corporations are, you know, corporations are all about money and greed and, and, you know, they really don't care in most cases about their employees. In some cases they do, but, uh, for the most part, you know, they, they are pretty greedy. Um, but I don't think they're, they, I don't think that greed stems from a, a need or a desire to rule the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just greed creates greed. You know what I mean? You get money, you want more money. It's just a, it's, it's just a it's human nature. So this so group, um, when you, Antifa, they were, Antifa. they were there. Mm-hmm. And so you, did you have any interactions with these folks? Did any of these, tons of them. any of the tons group of them. members come up to you? And not only that, did, were you confused as ever being part of the, uh, the, the the white supremacist organizations that were there, did people ever say, hey, you know, you guys are just as bad? And it's sort of hard to explain since you effectively put a gag order on your men to not talk to the press. But right. it, did you have those one-on-one conversations to say, hey, we're just here to yes, we did. basically as neutral peacekeepers? Yes, absolutely we did. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because – I have actually brought that up to various members of the press who have completely ignored that I said it. Um, on multiple occasions, not just in Charlottesville, but in Gettysburg, um, in New York, when uh, the New York Lightfoot went up to Islamburg, um, we've actually reached out to these people you know, um, to explain to them that, look, at the end of the day, we're not so different. Now, granted, we have some different views, yes, you know, but – Antifa loves to call us Nazis. They love to call the militia Nazis, you know. But the thing is, when we lined, when we were lined up in the street that day, the majority of the action, of course, was on the one side of the street, the street closest to where you know these white supremacists were in the park, and uh, 
of course, the white supremacists kept marching out of the park and marching right behind our line to kind of antagonize these guys, you know what I mean, these Antifa folks. And uh, so what, but what had happened when that wasn't going on was my guys did engage with them, you know, and, and they did talk to them. And, you know, at first, of course, it always starts out the same way. You're a Nazi, you know, you want to kill me. You want to step on my head, rah, rah, rah. No, and you know, and then my guys would respond. No, that's not at all the case. You know what I mean? We are just here to make sure that you can say what you want to say, and to make sure these guys behind you, behind us, don't come down and stomp you for it. And at the same time, we are here to make sure that they can say what they want to say, and that you're not going to go up there and start hating them with that flagpole. <laughs> you know, so it and these kind of conversations, these little conversations, were taking place throughout the day. Okay, and not in every case. I, I won't sit here and, and, like I said, create any kind of false utopian view that, you know, there was some great big social breakthrough that day. There wasn't, but on some small level, there was, and that's huge. And it, it really pains me that people refuse to recognize that. And it happened in Islamburg when the commander of the New York Lightfoot went up and talked to the Muslims that lived there. You know what I mean? And listen to their views and listen to what they thought about. And, and they asked each other questions, you know, because at the, it, at the beginning of the day, they didn't know what these guys in, in this compound were about. And the guys in the compound didn't know what the militia was about, you know, but by the end of the conversation, they did. It happened in Boston as well. It was very well documented in Boston when it happened. Um, but yes, yeah, so to answer your question, we absolutely did have interactions with them. And like I said, in some cases, you saw that light bulb go on. And when it did, a, a member of Antifa that may have previously been violent and, and agitated toward us all of a sudden stopped acting that way. Now, granted, that doesn't mean they stopped being violent and agitated. They just shifted that violent, that, that agitation. They shifted it from us to the white supremacists. You know, so, uh, so a lot of times when we were standing directly in front of Antifa, a lot of their uh, – well, I don't want to say a lot of them, but I want to say a handful of them didn't lash out at us, which was huge. Right. That, that, that's, I mean, that's massive. And you, you cannot, you cannot ignore right. the importance of something like that, because that's how you fix the world. That is how you fix the world. One conversation at a time. You know, yeah. one of you guys had said it earlier in the conversation. You know what I mean? We, we have to stop. We have to stop. The, the, the whole digital world has, as much as it has helped us, it has hurt us because we have become so detached from society and it's so easy to say what you want to say online and to find people that agree with you online that you stop having conversations with people. And James, you start James just and kind I, of getting in this mindset, you know, that you yeah. want to – you want that your view is the only view, you know, and yeah. that's what we need to stop because people have different views. And we, can, and we can still agree to disagree on certain views while we still come together on others. So, you know, that, so yeah, those, those interactions did happen. James and I were wondering before the conversation began, what are the mm -hmm. gun laws in Virginia? Is what could you enumerate mm -hmm. uh, the the provisions of the law? I'm sure that you've researched sure. this. I'm I'm actually pretty familiar with Pennsylvania laws. When I turned 21 in the state of Pennsylvania, I immediately mm -hmm. applied for a concealed weapons permit, and I I yep. open carried. And I concealed carried um, as living as a resident of the city of Pittsburgh with a sure. relatively, 
I, I don't want to say high crime rate, but I felt secure, I felt safe, and um, I was secure in my person and property knowing that I had a, a firearm with me at all times that was concealed. Sure. And um, with my background, I was trained in how to use it. So what are exactly. – how do you – how do you find out um, what the laws are? And I'm sure before you go into a state, you probably have mm-hmm. all of that pretty much down and you're squared away. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Especially when we roll into states like Massachusetts when we went into Boston where, you know, their gun laws are extremely restrictive. You know what I mean? Uh, it's almost, or Maryland. <laughs> a, 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 yeah, or Maryland. Oh, my God. Maryland, or Maryland's a whole different world. Maryland's almost <laughs> yeah. archaic but uh, yes. in their gun laws. But at any rate um, – yeah, uh, we do. We we go through pretty painstaking measures as far as contacting law enforcement, um, researching the, the gun laws in the state. Now, when it comes to the state of Virginia, you asked about their gun laws. Virginia is an open carry state. And we did call and we asked, uh, and they do share reciprocity with members of all the states who were attending militia-wise. We made sure we checked on that, um, or reciprocity. I apologize. But uh, they do share share that with all the so anybody there that was carrying concealed which none of our guys were carrying concealed we were all carrying open um we informed them that we were bringing long guns and you know that was due to the volatility of the situation and because we were so heavily outnumbered and also the fact that you know and it, it really throws a lot of people when i say this um as a visual deterrent Did because you a lot of pushback from state police when you told them that you were going to bring long guns? Um, Zero. How was that interaction when you informed Absolutely. We got absolutely no pushback. Really? They said, you know, yeah, none whatsoever. Um, That particular conversation happened with the Charlottesville police. Um, We did tell them, like I said, that we were going to be bringing long guns. And we asked them, we said, are there anything, is there anything we need to know as far as magazine restrictions, Um, you know, anything like that? And they said, no. They said, we're an open carry state. And they said, as long as you're carrying responsibly, they said, "Uh, we have no issue with it. (laughs) Apparently, the governor didn't feel the same way. But, hey, (laughs) you know, the governor said we were more heavily armed than the state police, which was absolutely asinine. But, um, yeah, so like I said, we we do – Mr. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah. But we did. We did absolutely. Um, we do absolutely every time we go into another state. Um, we research it extremely heavily because we do. We one of the big things that you know myself in the Pennsylvania Lightfoot, the New York Lightfoot, the, the other organization, the Virginia Minutemen, these organizations that we work with. You know, we we pride ourselves on the fact that we are law-abiding citizens. We don't accept felons into our ranks. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And we we go through very painstaking measures to make sure our members aren't violating the law. It's very important, you know, because if the militia is ever to gain legitimacy, as it is very quickly doing so, it's very important that we do make, that we do follow the law. You know, because if we don't, then we're just going to be looked at as criminals, just like anybody else. You know, that you know, that doesn't follow the law. And so, yeah, that's extremely important to us that we do that. And you have to, you have to sort out through the guys and even women that want to come in and, you know, they get the gung ho attitude that I'm going to carry a gun and I'm going to be, you know, excuse my language, Billy Badass. So you have to, you know, you have to sort through that too, if you're doing it responsibly, which it sounds like from at least the interview thus far, that that's what you're doing. Um, 
Oh, absolutely. Like I said, we, we are, I mean, as, as an organization, as an entity, you know what I mean? Like I said, it's one of our pride points, you know, that we are safe, responsible firearm owners, you know, we're not going out there waving our guns around. Um, No, like I said, I, you know, because of the situation and how heavily outnumbered we were, you know, having a long gun is a very good visual deterrent. And when you're talking about a group of 6,000, you know, you're going to need every little bit of help you can get. You know, it's not that we had any intention of going out there and shooting anybody or that we were planning on getting in a firefight with anybody because we weren't. You know what I mean? If it came to that, we were prepared for it. But that doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination that that's what we went there with the intention of because we didn't. And I'm here to tell you, and one of the reasons I'm here to tell you is because we had our long guns, you know, that a lot more people didn't get nearly as violent as they wanted to. Because, see, now normally normally when we go to these events, we don't even take our long guns. Because, you know, this, like I said, what happened in Charlottesville was special. And and not in a good way, (laughs) but it was special in the fact that, you know, this was, you know, all the biggest hate groups out there, the the most well-known, well-documented hate groups were all coming together in the same place, you know, and that is an absolute recipe for disaster. And they knew this. They knew this. You know what I mean? The frustration of Christian is that, you know, as a gun, (laughs) as a gun rights guy, and somebody who watches a lot of instructional videos, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of firearms instructors, and when I watch a lot of these videos to learn from, there is a plethora of videos out there that you can pull from and see, you know, people that make the wrong move when they're concealed carrying. Uh, I'm always looking to better educate myself as to how to, if I'm going to carry, it's a responsibility, and I have to use right. that only at the right time if, if needed. And technically, I really don't want to ever use it, but with that being said, when I watch a lot of disgusting and disturbing videos sometimes. I see some of the worst of our society doing some things to people that they shouldn't. I watch a lot of these mm-hmm. police videos to try to figure out where I stand, because I don't always stand on the, the side of the police officer, and I don't always mm-hmm. stand on the side of the, the, the victim or sub-victim. So in seeing a lot of disgusting videos, the thing that really affected me the next day, you know, Sunday morning, I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I can't get, I can't wrap my head around this. Usually I can point to one thing and I can say, this is disturbing me. I'm looking mm-hmm. at two different things here and I'm seeing Nazis, I'm seeing Antifa, I'm seeing Black Lives Matter, I'm seeing maybe Joe Citizen there, uh, I'm seeing the, the, the militia or. I don't know if there were people there that weren't part of your group that showed up the same way. I was like, sort of, mm-hmm. I see some people, let me jump in. But what I was getting at here is Antifa and the Nazi group, mm-hmm. it, it amazes me the hypocrisy, at least here's my opinion. These are two different, two different people that are fighting against each other. One's waving mm-hmm. a Nazi flag saying that's horrible in America, which actually I, I agree. You know, my grandfather mm-hmm. fought in World War II. Um, and fought against the Nazis. So then we turn around, and I've got guys, and men and women carrying communist flags. And the mm-hmm. amount of death toll that communism is brought on, and both of them, both groups, are being led by people. You know, um, what was it? Uh, Alexander the Great that said that he's, uh, what is it, he's more more afraid of, um, oh, geez, 
uh, a lion leading a hundred sheep than a sheep mm-hmm. leading a hundred lions. Um, right. And that's the way I feel like the, the Nazi group and Antifa, and sometimes even Black Lives Matter, for instance, that there's a lot of intelligent, intellectual people who have a way of manipulating the minds of these people, and the sheep follow, and the sheep do, and it's a very dangerous cocktail. And you're looking at fire and gasoline coming together there, which was not mm-hmm. going to be good, but they share the same characteristics. A lot of their beliefs are the same. Big government going over top of, uh, of the people, oppressing a certain type of people. Antifa says, oh, the sure. capitalist, greedy one percenters. The Nazis, mm-hmm. the, the blacks, the Jews, and the Asians, and the Hispanics, you know, they, they start picking apart people, and they want the government to help control that. They want to take over. Yeah. And that's the thing yeah. that makes me so fearful of both groups. And I was so conflicted Sunday morning. Like, it hurt my heart, man. Like, I literally sat down, and I'm like, what is becoming of my, my great country? Like, what, what is going yeah. on here? Um, and exactly. I, I hope that that's the way you feel based on your reasoning for going there. Um, that's precisely how we feel. You know what I mean? And, we, yeah. We are, we, are very, you know, we are very proud of our country. We are very proud of where we come from. You know, and I'm not saying that as a white man – you know, proud of my Aryan roots or, or whatever. I, I'm, I'm saying I'm proud to be an American. You know, I'm proud of the fact that so many people from the all over the world want to come here. You know what I mean? And even in countries where, you know, they, they hate, absolutely hate us, you know, there's elements of their population that want to come here and they want to be part of, you know, the great American experiment, the great American melting pot. And we do offer people opportunities that, you know, they're essentially probably never going to get anywhere else. You know what I mean? You can come here with nothing and build yourself into something huge. You know what I mean? And in a lot of countries, you can't do that. Um, and it, in, when, you, you know, you say it hurts your heart, I'll tell you what, brother, it hurts my heart, too. And it, and it hurt a lot more on Saturday than, than my heart. <laughs> you know, it hurt just about every part of me, I'm telling you, by the well, end of the day. And and Christian, I Go want to ahead, give you a yeah, quick example. No, 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 it's fine. I, I wanted to give you a quick example that, um, you know, I posted the link on my, my Facebook page, um, and they're saying people, you know, I have a friend, and I, I don't think she's listening, but, <clears throat> excuse me, um, People are saying, well, you know, he felt – they're saying about you that they, you felt compelled to take up arms and travel to another state to personally protect the safety of racist Nazis. And I don't see that mm-hmm. – that's not what I'm hearing at all. You're, it's made explicit in this Washington Post article and from this conversation that we're having. This was all mm-hmm. about protecting the right of everybody to have their fair sh- – their fair share of speaking, whether or not we find it reprehensible. I get it. I understand it. Um, and mm-hmm. people may not understand it, but I get it. That's why I was – this immediately struck, struck, stuck out to me reading this story in the Washington Post because, honestly, look, yesterday's Washington Post was filled with <clears throat> a lot of really awful stories about what had happened in Charlottesville. Yep. And yep. so – I got to this A5 section, and I'm sitting at my kitchen table with my cup of coffee, and I'm like, oh, geez, what is this all about? You know, here's these – are these militiamen? So I read the whole damn story, and I thought to myself, okay, 
all right, I get this. I, I understand it from a constitutional perspective, um, and by no means it doesn't seem like there's, there's no indication whatsoever from this interview or from this article that you took arms to travel to another state to protect racist Nazis. That's not what I'm hearing well, at all. See, well, actually, and this is probably going to rock you back in your chair, but I was there to protect racist Nazis. But I was okay. also there to protect, you know, raging left-wingers, you know, and that's what people the First can't, Amendment. That's what people can't, yeah, well, not only their First Amendment rights, but their own physical safety. You know, um, a lot of people can't seem to wrap their brains around that for some reason, especially in, in, in the media. Um, they can't seem to understand that I would protect not just one side, but the other side as well. You know, and there, I, I cultural kind of, divide between guns a huge cultural divide. You as a gun rights person that, uh, you know, huge cultural divide. People judge you based on you're the scary looking alpha male type guy. Who wears cargo camo shorts and you know you're wearing a gun T-shirt and stuff. I do that so that I can express myself and say, "Look at me! I have a beautiful wife, a lovely daughter." Uh, and you're I, proud of who you are. And there's nothing wrong with that. And look, yep. I also love my firearms. I love the Second Amendment. I'll support anybody's right. Um, you know, I'm in Maryland. I voted for gay marriage. Look at me. I, I'm not a bigot or a hypocrite. In fact, I may surprise you with a lot of my beliefs. And, and sometimes I may believe in something that you don't, and we can have a dialogue about it. Um, exactly. Social and media I, has know, definitely added to the fire here where people have cut off conversation, and they say it actually, it absolutely and I'm has. guilty of it too. And obviously it needs to stop, but I, I work on it every day. I try to. Um, well, but you know, at the same do. time, though, at the same time, though, if you don't mind me interjecting, um, it can also be a huge powerful tool for change. And when I say that, I, I would like to direct you to a conversation I literally had not five minutes before I called into your show, where a hardcore left-winger messaged me on Facebook, out of the blue, okay, and asked me, what were you doing there? Explain to me. I, I want to know, I want to hear it from your mouth, what were you doing there? And I, and I did just that. I explained exactly what I've explained to you guys. And as hardcore of a left-winger as he is, you know, we had a very civil conversation where I explained to him in no uncertain terms what it was I believe in and what I support. And we talked about the Civil War and his views on the Civil War and my views on the Civil War, you know, because we got in a conversation about these statues that were getting ripped down and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and it, it really falls on the individual at the end of the day to be willing to listen, be willing to stop talking for a minute and listen. Even if, if, if you have a predetermined kind of notion about, you know, who this person is or what they represent, to stop and listen to what they have to say. Because if you're willing to do that, you know, you're conveying a certain level of respect to that person. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want, really, isn't it? We all want a little bit of respect. We just want people to, to listen to what we have to say and not just let it go in one ear, but really, truly listen to what we have to say and think about what we have to say. And we did that. And by the end of that conversation, this guy who, if he had shown up at a rally, would probably come and, you know, trying to come to blows with me, 
was offering to buy me a beer the next time I was in New York City. And my response to that was, I would absolutely love for you to buy me a beer, and I would gladly reciprocate by buying the second round. You know, and and, and we kind of laughed and we had a chuckle about it. And we said, you know, it's funny because here we are, two guys that represent totally opposite ends of the spectrum. And we can have a simple conversation and we can agree to disagree and we can still be friends. And like I said, and I had just spoken a little bit earlier with the prospective recruit, because, of course, as you can imagine, my numbers are uh, the number of applications I've gotten the last couple of days for my unit is nothing short of mind boggling. Um but we said, you know, that's how you change the world. You know, a lot of people don't want to get involved in, in politics because they really don't think that they can make a difference. But what I try to impress upon people and what I firmly believe and I practice in my own life on a daily basis is to really kind of try to open yourself up a little bit to what other people are saying. And guess what? You know, if you do and you still disagree, okay, you still disagree, but that doesn't mean you guys got to kill each other. You know, we can agree to disagree. We can come together on the things that we disagree or the things that we agree about, which, believe it or not, when it comes to Antifa, okay, when it comes to Antifa, Antifa and the militia actually share a lot of the same kind of thoughts. We really do. We we actually have way more in common than we have than we don't have in common. Where the divide, where the divide comes, obviously. You know, right. Where, well, where the divide right comes, in, you're right. But where it comes to where the divide comes with Antifa is with Donald Trump. It's it's really at the end of the day, the one thing that separates the militia from groups like Antifa, aside from the fact that, you know, our training and our discipline, the way we present ourselves. Um, but the one glaring difference between us is that most of the militia supports President Trump, where most of Antifa does not. You know, they see him as just another capitalist devil who's just looking to fleece the American people, you know, and the militia looks at it the opposite way. Well, you know, we look at, you know, we look at President Trump as, look, this guy just added $4 trillion to the economy in his, in his first six months. He added, you know, what, close to a million jobs to the economy, which is great for our country. So we look at him as doing good. They look at him as being evil. And that's where the divide comes. You know what I mean? And we really need to get past that. Because even like during the Obama presidency, during the Obama years there, you know, it was completely reversed. You know, these Antifa people who really didn't exist exist back then because their guy was the one in power, you know, they looked at the militia as being the hateful, evil, you know, violent group. You know what I mean? And we looked at Obama as being the devil, you know what I mean, because of the things he was doing with immigration, just allowing, you know, just anybody to flood across our border. You know, we had all those the Latinos that were coming across the border in Mexico. We had, you know, the huge influx of refugees that, you know, and that's one of the things the press is really creaming me on right now was the fact that I spoke at an anti-immigration rally. Okay, now the anti-immigration rally was, and when I spoke at it, you know, I, I vehemently disagreed with the Obama's policy of just taking these people in because I'm sorry. At the end of the day, there's a large swath of the, you know, the Arab population that really support the, the concept of global jihad and, and Islam, the, the, the more vile parts of Islam and, and Sharia law. 
you know, and I've, I've spoken at anti-Sharia law rallies, you know what I mean? Because I'm sorry, I'm an American, and in America, we don't bury our women up to their necks and stone them to death because they had an affair with another guy. You know what I mean? That's just not who we are. You know, we don't beat our women in public. We don't make them hide their faces. You know, we don't agree with things like that. So, yes, I did speak out against these things. And I had to make that abundantly clear to a, a reporter from the Pittsburgh Post because he had, he was, you know, kind of hitting me with what they – what people were saying about me on Twitter. I have nothing against Muslims. I really don't. I have, you know, I have issues with the people who want to, you know, practice jihad. I, I do. I have issues with that, and for good reason. You know, I don't want to see American I don't want to see American citizens needlessly slaughtered because they disagree with their, you know, the people of the Islamic faith's religious views. I just don't agree with that, and I don't think any reasonable any reasonable human being would. But you know, I don't believe so either. But I think the Washington Post. There was one point that I read. Mm-hmm. And I hope I didn't misread it. Or well, actually, I do hope I misread it. But there was one point where they said that you know you had you had gone back to alcohol and drugs and issues that you had through your your yes, childhood. I um, yes, and, I did. And you had about um, you know trying to recover from you know uh, an attempted suicide, and you straightened yes, your life out. And in doing it, when Obama was elected, you you sort of – they're saying that the one key word that I sort of cringed at when I – well, I really cringed at it was that they said that you took a, a – a, a, An anti-government a view. It, well, it, it wasn't necessarily anti-government. They said right-wing extremism or something. Yeah. And, yeah, and that reading was, that, like, well, was that a slam on you? Or was, or yeah. Did, no. you, did you have a bad me, you were like, No, allow me to explain – Sure. Now, allow me to explain exactly what I had stated to that reporter, and I was—I want to say I was misquoted. Um, what it was was it wasn't that I was attracted to right-wing extremism because that simply wasn't the case. I've never been attracted to right-wing, right-wing extremism, nor am I now. I have never been. What I told him was I stumbled across an Alex Jones video. And I said I quickly, very quickly became enamored with Alex Jones and and what he was doing. And I and I told my – you know, I said to him in the interview, I said – you know, I told my wife, look, the government's out to get us. Look at all this, you know, and he's showing all these articles and stuff like that. And, and – but what he didn't put in the article, and this was kind of the one hang-up that I had with the write-up that they did – was I had very clearly stated to him that, you know, I got over that extremely quickly. You know what I mean? It did not take me long to realize that even though there may be a fragment of truth in the majority of what Alex Jones says, that he very he very much embellishes it and blows it completely out of proportion. Right. Yeah. You know, and I realize talking head types love to do that, you know, and they, sure. they love to stir because it gets the things because they, they, they it gets uh, attention, it gets it gets them views, it gets, it gets ratings, it gets some money. I mean it's ratings. It's That's just right. like to me, the mainstream media, honestly, my opinion, is that a lot of them do a great job, but then a lot of them do the disservice to the media themselves by doing that. And that's where when I hear fake news I understand to a degree what Donald Trump mm-hmm. gets at and, and what a lot so of do reporters I. say. And, and I yep, get so that. Do I. I don't believe every piece that comes out is fake news because I, I believe that journalism plays a very important role in keeping, you know, this is the, this is the anti-government 
questioning part of the gun guy that comes out is I sit here and go, I'm glad the media's there. You know, it's a double-edged sword. They can hurt you, or they can help you, or they can help any precisely keep the government in check. And that's what that you know. Well, that's uh, why freedom of the press is, is right. a right. Yeah. But, but see, when yeah. you take when you take that when you take what the the when you take in in the specific case of that Washington Post article, when they're writing an article like that, okay. You have to put yourself in their shoes, okay? Now, you have to remember that the Washington Post is no different than any other newspaper or any other media outlet. They have to continue to want to draw their readers back. Now, the Washington Post unquestionably is a left-leaning is a left-leaning news organization, which, which was why I was so surprised that they gave me as fair of a write-up as they did. And um, – so throwing that, you know, uh, he was attracted to a right-wing extremism. What that, what they're doing in essence there is they are appealing to their readers. You know, yeah. they're appealing to their readers by providing them with that little tidbit. You know what I mean? That makes them feel like, okay, yeah, the, the post is still on my side because they really yeah, did. They gave me, they, they gave me a fair so, shot, so and, and the left doesn't want to hear that. No, well, I can you know, tell they, you they that this me, show. This show, we've always, and James can tell you, Christian, uh, my entire goal with creating this show is another, per, having your, we talk about a lot of local politics here in Maryland. We make sense of it. We talk to candidates. We talk to people um, running for the most basic local offices from county mm-hmm. council to uh, mayor to, I had a member of Congress on the other day. And so... Mm-hmm. I, I've always had a style where I just try to cut through all the BS and go right to the heart of the story. And look, I'm going to get pushed back for having an interview um, for this. And people say, well, why would you ever give this guy a platform um, who goes down and stands up for um, people to shout horrible things who represent <laughs> the absolute – Yeah, to absolute sure. – who goes and stands and protects people who – represents the most disgusting elements of American society. Mm-hmm. And the clear answer to this is the, the the whole purpose behind this show is that our politics are so screwed up, nobody is willing to talk to one another. And if I can do anything right. with my life, it's to facilitate a conversation, to have people sit down and just have a conversation with disagreements where we can respectfully disagree or respectfully mm-hmm. agree and talk about those differences and make sense of the world. So that's the whole sure. point. And, and but see, yeah. in doing and in doing that, okay, in doing that, see, with you being like, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but being like a more of a small time journalist. You know what I mean? And, and when I say that, I truly mean no offense. Oh, I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's true. I, say, I am. I'm. I'm <laughs> yeah, when hey, when I, I say that, I mean. No, I no, I'm just comparing you to like say the likes of NBC. You know what I mean? And big networks, you know what I mean? These people like I said, they have to appeal to audiences because that's their paycheck. See, you have I'm sure have a job where you have a daytime job that you do and you know you are not this I I, I would yep. venture to say that this is probably not your only source of income. No, it's you know in fact I mean? there's there's no source of income with this. It, exactly. This is a hobby. So this is a passion. I right. work with veterans all day. <laughs> I, that's my right. job. I work okay. with a veterans organization, and uh, okay, so, we, so so 
Yeah. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is what that, what that, see, that gives you a certain power that the most powerful news organizations in the world don't, world do not have. Okay, and you, ha- and that's and again, this can't be overlooked. Is that gives you the power to be a real, true journalist. You don't have to appeal to anyone. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to appeal to anyone. So you can you have that opens you up to being able to to provide a true open dialect, you know, about certain issues. You know what I mean? That you don't have to appeal to anybody. You know what I mean? If 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 you get me on, okay, and Sure, there's a lot of people out there who are calling me, you know, this right wing lunatic racist with a gun that's going down and I want to shoot and kill everybody. And that's that's ridiculous. But see, you have the you have the power that a lot that the Washington Post does not have. So you could, in essence, put my story out there in its truest, rawest form. Oh, we're going to now. Oh yeah. And now exactly. And now let the people decide, which is what true journalism should be. True well, journalism did... is there to educate the people. And if you don't have to appeal to a specific audience to do that, then you can provide that service to the people. And Well, and you remember the old like dragnet. You yeah. remember the old dragnet. It was Detective Sergeant Joe Friday. He was a the fictional yep. oh, fictional yeah. character created by Jack Webb. He just yep. he would say frequently and in, implore the female informants just to provide the facts, ma'am, and well, in your case, sir. Yep. Um, but I just want exactly. the facts, and I want people to make up their own minds. And we have this conversation, and in my 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 goal is never to dissuade or persuade anybody from a certain opinion, but have the conversation and have that dialogue so people can make up their own minds. And so I look, I feel your frustrations. I get a copy every day of the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. Three very different papers. They're framed differently. They're they're their writing style and journalism. They cover different stories. I mean I'm a financial guy and I love reading financial news, so that's why I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. So I I, sure. I read all kinds of media and look, I read anything from the Daily Caller sometimes to Drudge. I don't really read Breitbart news. I I try to stay away from that. Um, but you know, you, you, I, did, you, know, you know, now that you say now that you say the Daily Caller, I just I I, I want to throw those guys a shout out. I really okay. do because uh, when I was getting absolutely blasted by the press on Saturday and even into Sunday and whatnot, you know, and I had given the same pre-prepared statement to every journalist I talked to out there that day. Okay. And it it was very carefully thought out and, you know, because I wanted to present the militia in the proper light and why we were there. And, but what 99% of them did was they took my name, they took the name of my organization and they just painted me as a racist. Now, when it came to the daily caller, (laughs) this kid, Ian something or other, Ian Chong, or I think his name was, um, he was the only one, all of them. I, I mean, I, and I am including him with NBC, CBS, Fox, you know, all the major networks that interviewed me that day. And I, he was the only one out of all of them who aired my actual interview at, in its entirety. 
You know what I mean? He let the world hear exactly what it was I wanted to say. And my hat is off to that kid for that. In that organization, God bless them. You know what I mean? Everybody else was slamming me from alternative media to the mainstream media, you know, and it was the, the things that it did to my wife were absolutely horrific. You know what I mean? No woman ever wants to see her husband torn that, torn apart that way in the press. You know, my wife knows what I'm all about. She knows who I am. She knows I got the biggest heart of anybody out there, you know, and to see me painted like that, you know, it was extremely hard for her. So when he did that, you know, it was, it was really kind of touching, you know what I mean? He really kind of got to me and I was like, well, Hey, you know, thanks guy. <laughs> you know, at least somebody out there likes me. Sure. You know, but, sure. uh, so I mean, you know, and I, I do, I truly appreciate the fact that you're willing to have this conversation with me because I, I want people to know that I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy that is out there to defend right-wing Nazis, you know, when in fact that's exactly what I was doing. But the fact, but like I said, you, can, you can't say that I was out there defending right-wing Nazis without saying that I was out there defending, you know, these hardcore left-wing types as well, because I was. You know, we dragged people out of the fray from all sides. And I would cite one specific example where when we, after we, we were, okay, we were actually exfilling out of there. Um, the state police had come to us and told us we had 10 minutes to get out of there because they were shutting the event down and everybody that stuck around was going to get arrested. And so we couldn't deploy where we couldn't exfil up out the street that we came in and we had to kind of march around the city which was an interesting adventure in itself. But uh, three members of our team had gotten separated, okay? Um, one of them, which was a member of the Virginia Minutemen, um, had gotten a, a case of heat exhaustion from being out there all day in the heat and, you know, getting, you know, tussled with these people and get tangled up with these people. He ended up getting a case of heat exhaustion. Well, luckily for us, he just happened to be with one of the nurses that was with us. So she, you know, being the quick thinker that she was, drug him into a funeral home because it was the only place that was open near them, drug him into a funeral home because it was air-conditioned and tried to get his body temperature lowered. Well, of course, that doesn't happen, like, instantly. So they were in there for, you know, a little while, and while they were in there, we weren't going to leave without them, but we were, like, two to three blocks away from them up a straight street and uh we were we were on the radio and we're talking with them and we're trying to find out you know we're checking on this guy's condition we're trying to find out when they're going to be able to move him and all of a sudden a fight erupts out in front of this funeral home and now they're getting worried because now they're trapped in there they can't get out of there and they're separated from the team so we deployed another team which I, you know, and this was my mistake. I thought they were a lot closer than what they were. And being unfamiliar with the area, it led me to think that they were closer than what they were. And so I sent three guys to go up and get them. And uh, because, like I said, even though we were so sorely outnumbered, you know, the, the, our presence there and in you know, like you had said earlier, you know, the, the big, scary, you know, alpha type guys, you know, with body armor and guns, you know, it is intimidating to people. And, sure. and we really didn't have so much of an issue, you know what I mean, with people attacking us per se, you know, on an individual level. <clears throat> we were, uh, we sent these guys up to get them. 
and to help get them out of there and help get him evac so we could get him the proper medical attention that he needed and get his body temperature lowered and get you know get him out of there and what unfortunately what ended up happening was those three guys they they did make it up there and got him but what ended up happening was when they were starting to make their way back they had got stuck in an alley where a fight had erupted out in front of them Okay, now I was like, I was members of, I think it was members of Antifa. I, I may be mistaken there, but it was definitely members of the, one of the left-wing groups and members of some of these white supremacists. This big fight had erupted literally right in front of the alley where they were standing. They got trapped in the alley. They couldn't get out of there. Well, both groups were trying to attack my guys who were in the alley. And my guys were... As they, as they were attacking each other, it was like complete mayhem. You know, they're attacking each other. They're attacking my guys. You've got people standing in the crowd that are yelling and cheering and videotaping with their phones. And they, these guys are wailing on my guys, and they're wailing on each other. And as they're wailing on each other, my guys are trying to drag the injured. You know, these people are all busted up. They're trying to drag them into the alley to give them medical attention. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're dragging they drag they're dragging like both members of the left and the right into this alley and treating them you know medically to you know make sure these people are all right and the, all the while there we got guys at the edge of the alley that are trying to fight off this crowd you know so yeah. in, whenever it uh, whenever we it came over the radio you know they they're called now they're making frantic calls over the radio saying hey hey you know we are trapped in this alley they're coming at us we can't we can't keep holding them off we can't keep holding them off mm-hmm. they were they had thrown acid at one of wow. our guys um wow they were beating them with, they were beating with flagpoles you know and and one of our guys did raise his weapon now he didn't raise it to you know the full on ready you know condition one you know pointing it at people but he did bring it up to the low ready and he said don't make me do it He's like, don't make me do it. And and when he and when he said that, you know, they they kind of backed off him a little bit. But in the in the time that that was happening, we had deployed a much larger force to go up and and bust this crowd up and you know get to our people. So and our my second was led those guys up there, and yeah. they basically charged. Like I said, they charged at these people, and they were you know they're carrying their rifles and like I said they. These guys look menacing, you know what I mean, geared up like this. And when they come running at you full bore, you know what I mean, screaming, get out of the way, what it did, it provided that one, that split second of shock value. That The way he said it, he said it looked like the parting of the Red Sea. He said, because all of a sudden, everybody just cleared out, you know, and there was just a real quick path through the middle. And they dove in and they grabbed our people and they got them out of there, you know. Wow. And it was it was it was absolutely insane. It was just sheer insanity, and it was well, exploding Christian, I to, all over the city. I wanted to to just wrap up because we have a, two more sure. minutes. Um, and with this was this is a just a wildly interesting interview. And I remember the it, I don't know if you ever remember the old Aaron Sorkin movie, The American President, when he sure um, do. at the end sure do. at the end of the movie. Um, the guy, the president, his name was Andrew Shepard. It was um, pr- played yep. by Michael Douglas, and he comes out and makes mm-hmm. this great speech. And now, Andrew Sorkin has a tendency to, 
uh, cinemize these very liberal um, <laughs> movies. And so, and I just want to say that he, there was one line in the movie that I'll never forget. And it kind of reminds me of the position that you were in this past weekend. And he, mm-hmm. the president came out, he was in the White House briefing room, and he was answering a question about um, one of his potential Republican opponents. And he said, look, America isn't easy. It's advanced citizenship. You've got to want it, and you've got to want it bad because it's going to put up a fight. And he goes on to say, it's going to say, you want free speech. You want to see – let's say you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this the land of the free? Then the symbol of your country cannot, be, cannot just be a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. And he says, defend sure. that, celebrate that in your classrooms. And I see that people may not understand why you were there, but the right that you stood there to defend two opposing beliefs inside, that should be commended. And I, I, I want to say that um, this was one of the most interesting shows that I've ever done on um, in my short tenure as a as a small guy, small town journalist. But um, with that, I, I just I want to thank you for for coming on, for sharing your story and for um, and for giving us your perspective. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I want to say, you know, thanks for taking the time to listen to me, because right now. You know, and as, as, as divided as we are, there's a lot of people who don't want to take the time to listen to me. You know, so the fact that you and, you know, the people that are listening right now are willing to listen to me, it, it does you a, a great service. It does you a great service, uh-huh. and I greatly appreciate it, and I want to say thank you as well. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate you spending some time with us tonight, and it means a lot. Um, look, look, I'm going to stay in touch with you. I have your information on Facebook, and yep. we'll, we'll keep in touch, and we'll. We'll, we'll catch up at a at a later date to see what's happening. So um, with that, um, James, hey, thanks thanks for coming on too, James. I I really appreciate the uh, the time you spent here tonight. So um, thank you for having me. All right, gentlemen, you, gentlemen, you have a good night. Um, God bless you both, and um, we'll talk soon. So thanks. All so right, much. good night. Yep. All right, bye bye.